1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? Kids, get to popcorn now. Let me tell you the story of the space viking, Thor Odinson. He was no ordinary man. He was a god. After saving planet Earth for the 500th time, Thor set off on a new journey. Well, he got in shape. He went from dad bod to god bod. And after all that, he reclaimed his title as the one and only Thor. Oh, spoke too soon. Jane? The old ex-girlfriend. What's it been like? Three, four years? <laughs> Eight years, seven months, and six days. Give or take. Am I uh, sensing feelings? Well, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. The only ones who gods care about is themselves. So this is my vow. All gods will die. I just want to say that was very, very impressive what you did back there. It's just my first bad guy. You never forget your first. You are not like the other gods that killed. Because I have something worth fighting for. See who you are. I take off your disguise. And flick. Oh, you flicked too hard, damn it! Shall we help him? And eventually, grape. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours? 
I'm Paul Spataro, and I am once again joined by my good friend, Mr. Sean Whalen. Sean, thank you for coming on again. I am really excited to be here and excited to talk about this movie. You know, we haven't talked about a movie yet that you aren't excited to talk about, and I think that's just like the greatest thing. Uh, so this is... I, I love talking films, so this is exciting for me. Yeah, well, and, and like I said, I've enjoyed having you on, so this is cool. And today we're talking about Thor Love and Thunder. Now, I'll tell you when this first opened, I saw it about a week after it opened. Uh, yet, yet again, a time where I actually went to the movie theater, which is still a not common occurrence for me. Uh, but I had heard very, very mixed reviews going into this. Uh, some people thought it was terrific, and the, the one, the one bad review that really stuck with me now i have not seen morbius yet but i've heard from many sources that it's terrible and the person who i heard comment called this thorbius <laughs> now i've seen morbius i don't know that i'd make that comparison but <laughs> yeah, no I, I i haven't seen morbius but i would not i i definitely am not putting this on the terrible level by any stretch uh it, I'm not putting it on the classic level either. I'm not giving you my rating just yet. Uh, mm -hmm. I think there's there's some things about it that I can criticize, and I think we'll talk about some of those. Uh, but I have to say, when I sat down and watched it, I genuinely enjoyed it. You know, and that's really the bottom line for any movie. So I saw it twice. I saw it the first time opening night, and I like to with a lot of the. Um, a lot of movies in general that are ones that I'm really excited about. I like to see them opening night mainly because I try to stay away from reviews and just try to experience it for myself, then I really enjoy reading reviews. Whether I agree with them or not, it's kind of fun to see what other people thought about the film. So I walked into this one um, kind of blind and seeing it, and, and like you, I think there's a lot, I think this is going to be an interesting one to talk about. Um, I saw it a second time when, when you had messaged me about doing this as an episode, because I'm like, okay, let me go see it fresh again. And, and part of the reason why I did that is I'd like I'd love to be able to we'll talk later about the rewatchability of this and how I felt about it the second time around, because I think that'll organically come through in this process, because that's kind of a big rating thing for me when it comes to especially like superhero movies, which I typically really enjoy seeing at least once. Uh, it's does this enter into the category of one that I see myself watching two, three, four, five, six times <laughs> And, and, you know, I mean, because there's there's so many of them out there now that that becomes part of your rating of a film, you know, as far as, you know, how am I going to go back to this one? Because you and I both grew up in an era where there was a decidedly small amount of this type of film. Now we've got a plethora of these movies. So it becomes an economics of time when it, when we're rewatching. So we'll have to talk about uh, that particular. Yeah, well, and, and that is one of the things, as you're aware, that I put into the uh, the Jaws scale is rewatchability, uh, mm -hmm. and, and there there are some movies that you know are I, I don't want to say objectively because movies are I, I believe watching movies is a very subjective thing, but there are movies that I could sit here and say are excellent movies, but that I don't want to watch repeatedly because either the subject matter is too too. The subject matter is too heavy or it's just too uh depressing in some ways or you know uh, i i like one of my prime examples is saving private ryan which i think is is technically and even beyond technically just you know from a story point of view it's an excellent excellent movie 
but it is very depressing by the time you get to the end and i've watched it once and i've never watched it again and i don't feel like i have a real desire to watch it again but i still think it was a great movie schindler's list is one for me that i i think is absolutely a brilliant piece of cinema um i think they're tackling a very serious subject i've seen it twice uh i don't i'm not saying i'll never watch it again because I do think it's an amazing film that really does a great job of capturing its subject matter. But it is one of those where I, I don't, this is not one that I'm going to watch 10 or 20 times, but yet I can sit there and say, this is spectacular. So, I mean, what they did with that film was um, inspiring, you know, inspiring with yeah. what they did. And there's but movies it, that can't hold a candle to that. That, Correct. You, that you'll watch multiple times right, where you won't watch yes. that. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So it, it, it is a fact that sometimes, sometimes the, the pop movie, the bubblegum movie, is superior in rewatchability, if not, you know, even though it may not be as good technically or cinematically. So, well, we're going to be talking a lot of bubblegum today. <laughs> <laughs> so that is probably the biggest criticism I've heard of this movie, and it's one I do technically, ha or I do really have to agree with, is if I have to criticize it, I'm going to criticize it for the fact that the tone of the movie doesn't feel steady. It seems to go from comedy to serious and then back to comedy. And I mean, there's a, a ser you know, a real heavy attempt to put the comedy in there. But every once in a while, and mostly with the God Butcher, uh, it gets very serious. Or with Jane's condition, you know, if, if you haven't seen the movie yet, you may want to turn it off before we give too many spoilers. Because we're not going to hold back. Uh, but, you know, Jane has cancer and she's dying. And, you know, that's a very heavy subject matter. And then you're intertwining that with the comedy, uh, so the tone didn't feel steady to me and it didn't feel like it was really focused in any way. So that does take a little something away from it. It wasn't comic relief and it wasn't a comedy, but it has both in there. Uh, so I could see where that might turn some people off. I, I was, you know, I was able to get by that and it doesn't really bother me, but I do have to say it takes a little bit away from the movie. So my, my favorite Thor movie was Ragnarok. Um, and my reason for referencing that right now is for people listening, if they don't feel the same, they at least got a baseline for me at the moment, you know, as far as where I'm at. Uh, I felt Thor Ragnarok had a better balance than this film did. Uh, I love these characters, so I enjoyed this film. Uh, it's, but I couldn't agree more that it, it is uneven. Uh, and I think sometimes I like humor. And I feel like, especially when superhero movies, you know, when you start to have later movies, it's okay to have humor in there. There's times where I thought the humor detracted in particular from Thor for me, where I, I want to still believe that Thor is like a badass. You know? And um, mm -hmm. I felt like at certain points in time, it, it almost made him look incompetent at the wrong times. I don't mind him looking human. I don't mind heroes looking human. I, I actually really like the fact that Thor, because I think sometimes in the comics, comics, Thor is very wooden. So I think they've done a great job of giving Thor in the films a personality and likability that doesn't always translate into the comics. 
and I love Thor comics. I'm not knocking them, but I think that's something that the film universe has captured really well. Hellsworth is, is a very likable Thor, and I really enjoy him. I just felt like there were certain points where even the reaction of the supporting cast to him was almost like he was adult. And mm-hmm. at certain points in time, I think that's okay, but it was I felt it was a little overdone in this. And I really I like the movie. So there's a lot of things in here that I'm going to talk about that I liked. But that was one of the things where I remember in my second viewing in particular, looking back and going, I don't know that we need to keep emphasizing the fact that he, okay, there's been points in time in Thor's life where he's he's stumbled pretty heavily. (laughs) And um, the amount of eye rolling, I think, from the supporting cast was a little overdone. Yeah, you you don't want to show him as bumbling. Comedy is fine, but not bumbling. He's, yes. You know, he's not Inspector Clouseau. He's Thor. <laughs> exactly. I, I agree with that. I mean, it, it didn't go as far as Inspector Clouseau, obviously. But but I, I agree with you, what you're saying. You you never want to feel that he's incompetent. You, you, you know, comedy is fine. Like, you know, to bring it back to Ragnarok, that first scene with him and Surtur... Uh, when he's, you know, he's letting jokes out and he's there in the, in you know, tied up and, and spinning in the net. And... You know, there's a lot of comedy there, but you know, the second he decides he's ready to leave, he he calls from the owner and and he's you know it, that's it, he's done, he's out of there. Yeah. You know, he, he there was no incompetence there, but there was a lot of comedy in the way that he spoke to Sir. Uh, and and I liked that, and I enjoyed. I I got to think, uh, I'm I'm pretty close on the first Thor movie and Ragnarok, but I think I did enjoy Ragnarok more. Uh, so I'm, I'm in agreement with you that that would be my favorite of the four Thor movies. Uh, this one felt largely like it was chasing Ragnarok. It was trying to be Ragnarok in a lot of ways. Uh, and it's not quite up to the same level as far as the comedy goes. And I think part of that might be the fact that we didn't have Loki in it. Because I think he did add to Ragnarok a lot. That, him, him and the Hulk. Oh, the, the Hulk, the buddy moments in Ragnarok and I don't want to go too far on a tangent on that one but I I felt like there was a buddy cop going on between the two of them that was that really really worked I I will say I liked the I really liked the relationship between him and Jane Foster in this one Um, I I enjoy that part of it I felt like there were certain elements of the humor again that took away to your point about the seriousness in that relationship and almost I was wondering at certain points like why does she love him because it's clear that she does and I'm trying to figure out why and I love Thor so I'm I'm gonna say I'm in the camp of I really love the character but I felt like in this film I was struggling with yeah but Based on how they're make, portraying him right now, what exactly is it that she loves about him? <laughs> well, you, you don't totally feel a chemistry between the two. Yes. You know, and, and that's what you need because you, you don't necessarily have to say, oh, you know, yes, I love him too. <laughs> you know, that doesn't have to be what you do. But you have to really but, feel that she does love him and that it makes sense. I almost felt like it was, I'm saying I love the character, but I love him because of his previous appearances. And like right now, I feel like I was apologizing for him. He's like the friend I'm apologizing for. 
So, and it does make it sound like I didn't like him at all in this film, and that is truly not the case. There are many scenes, to your point about it being imbalanced, there are many scenes that are really good in this. So, you know, the picture that I'm painting right now isn't my whole experience with the film. But I will say it's some of the things that I'm addressing right now, and, and you, it sounds like we're really aligned on, were things that took away from this being a start-to-finish, like, honestly, an equal to Ragnarok for me. Because I think there were elements here where it could have been. It just was missing that sort of balance that I think Ragnarok had a pace that I think just really worked. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, there's two two areas in particular where I thought it was chasing Ragnarok, which I'm going to probably say several more times before we're done. Uh, one of which I ended up finding as a positive, despite myself, because it kind of turned mm-hmm. around on me. And the other one uh, was a negative, but it really goes more to personal taste. Uh, I loved the Led Zeppelin music in Ragnarok. On, on the, on the uh, you know, in, in the fight scenes. And this one felt like it was chasing that with having Welcome to the Jungle and Paradise City, but I just happened to not really be a Guns N' Roses fan. So, again, it's personal taste, but that, like, that didn't do it for me the same way that, uh, that Led Zeppelin did. I did like the soundtrack in this. I, I and actually were we're aligned in, in the fact that we like the soundtrack better in Ragnarok, but I do appreciate the fact that I, I, I feel like they've taken some really good pop culture songs that fit the Thor theme and have sprinkled them in the film. I appreciated their use of music as a way to kind of get you psyched up for the events that are going on in the film. Mm. And I think that's something that they're, they're doing well. Um, by preference, the soundtrack is very similar to yours, but it, I think it's more you can get into musical tastes. But I do appreciate that they're trying to take some classic songs and really do that. I think that's something the Marvel Universe has been, I think, doing Guardians of the Galaxy in particular has been doing really well. Right. And um, I, I, I was, I appreciated what they were trying to do with that here. The the other area where. Uh... It felt like they were chasing Ragnarok again, uh, and and it it felt groan worthy, and then it turned into near hysterical laughing. Is when they did the play. Uh, yes. At first, I was like, okay, but we already did this. We did this in the last movie, but then when when Hella comes bursting out, I, I I'm telling you, I nearly split a gut. I I was laughing so hard at Melissa McCarthy as Hella. I, I, I like that scene much better the second time. Well, we both had the same experience. I liked that scene a lot better the second time because I knew it was coming and I was anticipating it. So, like, the whole build to it, I was like, oh, wow, you know, I really am enjoying this because I know where it's going to go. And it was really good. And just, just the, the whole, like, which I think they did much more so in this than they did in the other, in, in Ragnarok, just showing how cheesy the play special effects were with the hammer on the line and and when Odin turns into to stardust and the the guys are behind him sprinkling him with the, with the glitter uh I I I have to say what he what they did instead of just repeating it which is what was originally making me feel like I was going to groan they stepped it up a level and that yeah. was great Yeah and it also gave you this sense of the fact that this this new Asgard was a city where they've 
they've taken like this idea of what Asgard is and the fact that it's going to be something different than our world and our expectations and entertainment is going to be different there. I I liked what they were doing to flesh out that this has been new Asgard's been around now for some time. They've had a chance to develop a culture there to interact with the world at large and there's something to draw people to new Asgard who don't live there. And it is it's almost like a medieval fair you know yeah, that it's become a tourist uh, attraction yeah yeah and and i i actually completely got that and that part you're you're right where it was like grown worthy at first and then as you started settling into it i'm like i think i'd kind of go by, i think i'd visit this place oh no no question <laughs> i'd go um uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I I did get a kick out of the fact that that's what has developed there because it, it makes it makes total sense. You know what? How how are they going to support themselves with what economy and whatever? So that they support themselves through the tourism. The people come in, they take the little tour of, of the the city, and and they go, and then they have you know we're gonna go. What they say? We're gonna go and have some real Asgardian mead or something like that. You know, it, it's I I thought it was it was it, it felt connected to the other movies by doing that I will say I was a big fan of the comics where Jane Foster became Thor so I was excited for that in this the fact that they were going to go there and, and explore that and I I thought that what they were doing with her first of all she looked really good um, I give her a ton of credit for like muscling up for that in a way, I mean, it looked believable. I thought her costume looked cool. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that aspect. Uh, it, I liked what was going on with the hammer. You know how, like, because of what happened to the hammer, it was split into parts. And that now became a thing, a function, where the hammer, like, would when she'd throw it, would split into parts. I thought there was a cool differentiation between her Thor and the Thor that we'd seen in the previous films. It added, like, a, a, an interesting little twist that was not something I was thinking was going to happen, and I thought that was an interesting little surprise. And I, I liked how they used it effectively throughout the film as a way to show ways that she was effective in battle. It, she didn't feel like Thor light because of that. She felt like her own thing which was something that I enjoyed. I thought that was something that they did well because you've got to establish her pretty quickly because it's not a TV show. So you've got to give us a reason to get kind of excited about her. And I I wasn't super thrilled about the relationship because I was having trouble feeling like they were in love, but I liked them in battle together, that's for sure. (laughs) Mm. Well, I I thought she did a good job of playing... Of just playing the role, because I thought she did a good job yes. on both aspects, playing Jane Forster as Thor, but also playing Jane Forster the cancer uh, fighter. I was going to say Samariba, but she wasn't. Uh, you know, I, yes. I, I thought she, I thought she actually, you know, I've I've heard talk about you know complaints about her mailing in performances in some movies. I don't think that was the case here. I didn't see that. I think they probably excited her about the idea of. Do, you know of, of playing the part based upon the fact that she was going to be able to you know die at the end and 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 have these six scenes and you know allow her to to, to stretch her legs a little bit 
in, in our performance. But <laughs> another area where the movie fell a little short to me was Thor communicating with the hammer and the axe and them being jealous of each other. Uh, I thought that that went a little too much into the comic, not comic, but the the attempt to be funny kind of realm. I felt like there was too much of it. I didn't think that, like, I, throughout the film, I felt like they needed to dial it back a bit. I, it wasn't that the humor was bad. It was that the sheer level of it, again, goes back to what we were talking about earlier, made him incompetent, whereas I didn't feel that with her at all. Her humor, I thought, was a little more balanced. Like, it was more, she's a new Thor, she's getting used to being a hero. So even like her catchphrase thing that was going on throughout it, I didn't feel like that made her look incompetent. It was her feeling out how to be impressive when she was going into battle because she was getting very into being Thor and was more understanding this, like maybe understanding him more. And I guess that's where, for as much as I said, there was no chemistry between the two where I did start to see why she maybe would connect with him more was now that she's been Thor and she sees the attraction to it and the not wanting to let go and give up the power and the ability to go into battle and to, you know, save lives and, and do all of those things that she was able to do, especially considering how weak she was. I thought her arc was a really interesting arc. In, and that's part of where this movie's imbalanced. There were arcs going on that I'm like, I like that arc. It, I just wish the whole film maybe had had a similar tone. Um, it felt like there was multiple films. I guess I, what I'm really saying is I felt like I was watching multiple mini-movies. Mm. And I certain mini-movies better than the others. I, I think that's a fair statement. That there, you know, there were, because the tone varied, it almost created segments for itself mm -hmm. and some of them were more enjoyable than others now something that if you told me about it in advance i would have rolled my eyes and said i don't want to see this i'm going to be annoyed at this and yet i found it amusing through the entire movie was the screaming goats oh they were wait that's a humor piece where that could not have been taken out i the first time like when they first made the noise i, I chuckled and, and then I started thinking, I was like, I strangely hope they stay in the entire film. <laughs> <laughs> it's one, I, it's one of those things where each time they showed them, it got a little funnier. Yes, it did. And and I, I just got a big kick out of that. And, and uh, my wife is a big fan of The Grinch, uh, just in general, like the, the original cartoon, the book, the movies that have come out. And the most recent movie, if, if you ever had a chance to see it, you know, the animated movie that came out uh, had had a whole sequence with a goat that screams when, you know, when he's trying to to be quiet and the goat screams and all of a sudden, you know, everybody's running around. Uh, so it was reminiscent of that in some ways to me, which I had gotten, I think I thought was the funniest part of that movie. So it, it, it almost won me over very quickly. But as I said, if you had told me beforehand, yeah, they're going to have these two goats, they're going to scream. It's kind of an annoying scream, and you're going to hear it through the whole movie. I would have said, oh, my God, I don't want to see that. And yet it was one of the highlights for me. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I was thrilled when they were the ones pulling the boat. Mm-hmm. You know, because just because it gave another reason for them to be there, and it just they worked for me. Gore is, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Gore. Oh yeah, that's I where I was going to go like, next anyway. <laughs> I really liked Christian Bale as Gore, and I will say his interactions with Thor. I liked Thor interacting with him. I w- and it really is where I, I'm. My annoyances of of the handling where they made Thor look incompetent at times, and I'm with you on the hammer and the axe and you know the silliness of that. It was too much, but yet his interactions with Gore, I completely adored because you had this really impressive villain that was established very early on, and Thor's stepping up, knowing that this is this god killer who had, at this point, had a significant body count. And Thor is standing up to him. Thor is continuing to fight him and not back off. That's Thor to me. Mm-hmm. So those moments where in this I'm like, okay, my, my friend is here. The guy I've grown to like from the other movies is here. I'm seeing him in these moments. I just wanted more of this from him. And really, really liked the moments with him and Gord. I think that's a sign of a good uh, interaction between. There was a speaking about chemistry. I thought the chemistry between Gore and Thor was great. Well, it's it's you know what to me it was beyond just the chemistry between them. And I agree with you that I think there was some really solid chemistry between them. Uh, but but I think there was also like an underlying theme to the movie, and it was a little different than what I would have predicted, in that you had Gore as the character who relied on the gods and lost faith in them because of the way he was mistreated by them. And that that's what eventually turned him into the god Butcher. And then you had Jane, who really, you know, she had the relationship with, with Thor and all that, but she was never a worshiper of the gods. Uh, and her life was actually saved or, you know, given some uh, meaning by the gods, or by the hammer that created, was created by the gods. So there's this kind of a, a, a dichotomy there, uh, and then you know, but her life wasn't saved because she did die and go to Valhalla. Uh, but that you know, I, I just think that was you know like kind of the, an underlying story there, little you know, secondary tones that we got to those two characters that gave them some depth, and gave the movie a little more depth when it's presenting as so uneven and trying so hard to be a comedy at times that you don't expect messages of that, you know, that kind of weight in there. And yet they were there. Well, I think meaning and purpose and legacy was a big theme throughout this. I mean, Gore, Gore was basically, there was this faith that Gore had right from the beginning of, you know, Hey, my, all of our people got wiped out. My kid died. And yet I still believe you are believe in my God that this God is going to somehow make this all right, is going to realize, you know, there, there's hope and there's faith there in that moment. And that was taken away from him. Um, Jane's going through this treatment for cancer and there's no chance for that. You know, there's no cure. And she was stage and four. Only, yeah, I mean, right. I mean, so that's it for her. I mean, and, and basically every treatment that she, she was going through is not working. 
Um, and she was being told that, like, this is it. There's not there's not a path for you. So she taps into, you know, faith and OK, I, I believe in Thor. I believe in his people. Um, I, I'm reading the history of the hammer. Maybe there's something here. Maybe there is a chance for me this way to find that. And it was interesting how through that she found another sense of a different sense of purpose, not what she was looking for, but a different sense of purpose, a different sense of legacy for herself. And I think that's where and we'll, we'll talk about it, you know, when we get to it. But the the closing scenes, you know, the, I mean, I'm sorry, the, um, the end credit scenes with her, I thought were really pivotal where it was like, oh, wow, what a cool little epilogue they did with her story mm-hmm. in that. And I liked that sense. We got some of that with Thor. I mean, Thor seemed to be like throughout this trying to find himself and trying to find his purpose. And I do think that the film got there with him. It I just wished he hadn't like had so many moments of looking incompetent because I thought the towards the last sequence, last sequences of the film, I shouldn't say single one because there were multiple sequences at the end where we got to see him step up. And when that finally happened, I was like, all right, all right, I'm starting to rally behind him now. (laughs) And that felt good. And because he's, I, I think I was harder on him than I would be other characters because of the fact that he's Thor, and my expectations for Thor are are just higher. So when I wasn't getting that from him, I was happy to see it when it did happen in the film, and it did. There are moments where it did, and um, those like him with the kids, I thought was fantastic, where he was rallying the kids. That's on my notes to and, talk about that too. <laughs> yeah, because I thought that was. I'm like, all right, you know, now we're starting to get somewhere. It's like, where were you? an hour ago <laughs> but that, that that also was was a little bit of an arc too because when he first started talking yes. to them he he kind of didn't know how to handle himself and he didn't know how to how to encourage them and make them feel better and as the movie progressed he kind of learned and he created a relationship with these kids and and i thought that was really a good thing to to to, to counteract the incompetence that that you know we've pointed out and wait, how bad did you want to be one of those kids? <laughs> I thought, and I thought that's that's something that it, that sequence was really well done because I felt like a kid again because we all as kids, you know, well, at least I should say we all, I know, we all did. I know I played superheroes when I was a kid. And in that moment, I'm like, you've made me a kid again. That's what I wanted to be. <laughs> yeah. I wanted I didn't want to be Thor. I wanted to be the one that Thor said, hey, you come hang with me. I'm giving you some powers right now. We're going to go into battle together. I thought that was really well done. Now, uh, one of the things that you and I were just talking about before we started recording was kind of about meeting our heroes, meeting people who we've admired and, and what happens with them. And one of the, I thought it was one of the funnier scenes in the movie, but it also was a commentary on that, I believe, when we meet Zeus. And I, I just thought, you know, like that he was clearly one of Thor's heroes. Uh, and then then you meet him and, he, you know, he turns out to be a total ass. Uh, so I, I kind of like that. And, and I thought Russell Crowe was was really funny in the part. Uh, the only thing I didn't like was when, you know, because I think, it, again, it, t- it tended to degrade Thor was when when 
he's stripped and he's got all these like weird tattoos on him. Like it just it just didn't seem in character for me. I don't know. I, and I think some of those things, if they'd been in ice, like in smaller doses, I think they would have been funny. So I don't think that the humor was necessarily bad. I think we're dealing with quantity. There's too much. I think if they had pulled back a little bit, or not, I would actually say a lot bit, um, and kept any one of them in, but like spread it out a little bit more, I think we'd be having a very different conversation. I think there comes to a point, and I think we both felt this in it, there was a good deal of the film where Thor almost looked incompetent. And that was really my issue with, if there's any issue I have with the film, it's that. Um, there's so much that I love about this movie, but that incompetence part brings that, like, drags it down like an anchor. And um, that that was hard for me. It was hard to feel like Thor was incompetent and like the guardians of galaxy they couldn't wait to get away from them and i don't know that they were wrong (laughs) yeah i mean there was some definitely some amusing things with with their relationship there uh and and part part of that was we talk about you know again i Sometimes I feel like we're overly critical when we break these things down. It makes it sound like we hated the movies, and we, and clearly we didn't. We both enjoyed this movie, but right. but there's certain things about it that we look at and we say, well, this is what would have made it better, or this is something that I didn't like, even though I like the movie overall. Uh, when when they're in battle, when the Guardians are in battle and Thor comes to help them, they do show him to be very competent in battle. But they also show him to be virtually clueless as to what's going on around him. You know, like he doesn't even understand how much everybody's struggling before he gets there. And and, and doesn't sympathize with them. And, and I didn't like that, just that aspect of his personality. If he had been off busy doing something else that was important, and then he got there and, and helped them in the way he did, I would have felt much more happy with his personality. Yeah, yeah. It's... Uh... I don't want to say that I didn't like him at all in this film because I really there's so many elements where I didn't and I specifically hit it. There's a certain point in the film where I start to really like him again. So I, I think that they wrapped up the film well with him. Yeah. Oh, um, no question. I I, I was going to touch on that, but I'm I I was going to go to it because it relates to the things we're talking about. But I also didn't want to get to the end of the movie before we hit a couple other points. Sure, sure. I, I, I just want to hit on... Uh, really, I only have two things in my notes before that. Uh, one was the portrayal of Eternity. Now, it brought to mind to me the fear that Fox had of portraying Galactus in The Rise of the Silver Surfer. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, Marvel under Disney has not had that fear, and, and I've really appreciated that. And I think they showed Eternity as close to what we're gonna, what we're gonna, you know, what we've seen in the comics. The only thing about it is, I would have liked to have seen possibly the physical manifestation have, at, when you saw it at different times, possibly have different sizes to it. Like, you know, at some point, have it be, you know, the entire screen is is eternity with the people being small and at other times have it almost be you know human sized uh so so that you're kind of presenting it more as a concept and less as a physical being but the way they showed it with 
the you know the outline and the star field and all of that it's it's pretty much what we saw in the comics and i really appreciated that they did that i think one of the things that i've loved about the boldness of what they've done with the mcu with characters like this is to your point they haven't shied away from that and i think what we've seen in previous attempts of doing characters like that is dumbing it down or going really wacky with it so it's unrecognizable to comic fans. And I think they did a really good job of finding this balance where it's accessible to somebody who's never read a comic before in their life, and yet we were geeking out because that is my image of eternity. And I thought they did that really well, and uh, I think it's something that it reminds you that you can hand anybody a comic and you can get into it and read it and enjoy it. So forget the fact whether or not they're going to, because sometimes we go to the fact, well, not everyone's going to read comics. True. But the concepts, it's the draw to the concepts is something that we need to remember. And I love, I'm with you. I love the fact that like, no, we stayed pretty close to the concept there. We did, you know, they did as good of a job as they can because they're 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 dealing again with the economics of time. You don't have a lot of time to flesh that out, but they did a really good job with that, and I was impressed because you're right. Some other attempts we've seen in films of characters of this kind of scale have been like shockingly not close to what they actually are, mm-hmm. to the point where you're wondering like, why did you even use the name? Yeah. But that's, you know, in, in this instance, they didn't shy away. And like I said, I always respect that because the source material is not something to be shied away from. Uh, if anything, the people who would think less of it need to be educated that comic books aren't just for simpletons. No. You know, uh, some, there's some really heady concepts to your point and and something. And I think that's where there's it leaves you thinking. I thought they did a good job with Eternity of leaving you thinking, because I thought the cool thing about that concept was what would I do if I was faced with that? What would I do? What would I choose? I'd hope I'd make a benevolent choice. I hope I'd make a good choice. But in the moment, what would you do? And, you know, would you make a mistake? On, you know, because you got your one shot, right? Mm-hmm. Do you, you know, do you choose the right thing or do you do you goof in that process? I loved that. I thought that was something where it left the viewer like something to ponder afterwards. And I, I'm a fan of that. And I thought that was something the film that that part I thought the film handled very very well. And, and that's where bringing us towards the end of the movie with the resolution. That's where I thought they showed Thor not as just this overpowering being who could just do anything, but as a character you could respect and isn't coming off as incompetent. Because when he comes to the conclusion that he can't stop Gore from making his wish, and we see Jane deteriorating and deteriorating, and he says, you know what, I'm going to choose love, and I'm going to go spend the moments with this woman who I love, who who gives me happiness, and, and just do whatever I can for her rather than waste my time fighting with you. And you should choose love, too. And then that puts the thought into Gore's mind. And, and it, it ends up being the proper resolution, you know, for, for the for the film, and that, you know, he ends up choosing to have his daughter come back to life. Um, it, 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 it was thoughtful. It made you sit and think, like you said. 
uh, and it was a satisfying resolution. So, you know, all told, that that was a, a highlight of the movie for me. Yeah, I thought so too, and that was that's where it started to wrap back around, and it, it's one of the reasons why, for as tough as I am on the character of Thor in this, I was liking him again at the end. I'm like, all right, I'm I'm behind him at the end. We can, we can high five Thor. We're we're getting there, uh, and they brought. I give him credit for being able to bring me back around because it was if they kept down the path that they were going, um, I would have a very different feeling about this movie. Yeah, no, I agree with that too. Uh, and I also, uh, you know, I, I was kind of happy with the, the last scene with Thor and, uh, I don't even remember what the, what the, the little girl's name was. Uh, but wait, wait, she's, you know, he, he's now her, I guess, adopted father. And he, he makes her, what was it, pan fluffs uh, or flap, flap fluffs or something? Pan flap. Pan, pan flaps. Pan flaps. Yeah. And, you know, and, and they talk about that. And then they go off to uh, an adventure together. And, and I, it, I did take note of that when they went on the adventure, she had the axe and he had Mjolnir. I w- th- and I liked that choice. I liked that the axe wound up with her I, I think it was kind of a because what I think what that kind of showed is I think by the end I felt like he was finally worthy of having his hammer back mm-hmm. and I thought her having the axe was kind of showing like the, the axe finally bonding with perhaps the one that it should have been with all along it was it kind of like as hokey as maybe I'm making that sound it worked for me and I was really into it the ending was I was surprised at how much I enjoyed that at the end. Oh, and I'm just I'm actually looking at the Wikipedia page. Her name is Love. That's why it's Love and Thunder. Yeah. Okay, so I I thought that was just what they called her at the end. I didn't realize that was her name. Uh but yeah, I I thought that 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 was a perfect way to end it and then we had our uh post-credit scenes. Uh I did geek a little bit over the uh Hercules scene. And I'll tell you where else I where I geeked about the Hercules scene because you've got an angry Zeus who's like saying we're going to rally the gods and you know go after the superheroes and things like that because of what just happened. But because of the like I I liked Russell Crowe as Zeus. I with you I thought it was really funny, but based on the humorous portrayal of him you're going to have to give me something a little bit more than him if you want to convince me that they're going to be the big bads. <laughs> Hercules and with the look I thought they did a really great job of capturing the comic book outfit in a believable film version of it it had the right mix of feeling like it was popping off the page the that I think that on at least from the look that's really good casting for Hercules had me really excited I also it's a minor point but I was also a little geeked out by the fact that he had the mace yes you know, and and he's a uh, he's a prominent actor in uh, Ted Lasso, and uh, he 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 plays. Uh, do you ever have you ever watched Ted Lasso? Yes. Okay, because he plays the aging uh, soccer player who ends up being a coach on the team. Yes. And I I wouldn't have recognized him until that got pointed out to me, but uh, you know, I I really enjoy Ted Lasso, and anybody who hasn't seen that, I would recommend it. Uh, 
and he his character is particularly good. So once I found out that was him, it really makes me want to have a fifth Thor movie. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I definitely I walked out afterwards, and I think you're making an excellent point here. I did walk out afterwards wanting to see another film, and I was thrilled that like in the end credits it said Thor will return, and I was glad to see this film is number wise it was doing good numbers because that you know leads to another film i did want another film at the end of this yes as as do i um and Which then is really just important i'm sorry the the final well this the second i'm getting used to if there's two scenes there's usually one that's a geek out moment and there's one that is kind of a throwaway mm-hmm. uh in this instance i didn't think it was a throwaway it put a nice little bow on it to show jane in valhalla with uh with with heimdall who was thanking her for what he what she did with his son? I thought that it, that was not just a throwaway. That was that was uh, like I said, that was a nice bow on on top. It also fit the theme of the movie because if you take a look at what Gore was going through, how Gore no longer believed there was anything afterwards, and there was a question throughout this, like what what happens afterwards, and is there some hope for anything after all of this, and does being good even mean anything, and you, you know what. What's the point of it all? I liked seeing her at the end. Like it kind of came full circle and said this message. Well, yeah, listen, Jane, you you took one for the team. You you gave your life for you know to save the kids and to to be a part of that moment and to put a stop to Gore ending everything. And I really liked that there was that ending moment for her. That that kind of victory. And I thought that was really good. And you're right, it wasn't a throwaway. It kind of summed up the film in a really nice way. And sometimes they are, you know, they can wind up being that closing, like, little humorous chuckle moment. I was glad that they didn't make the choice to do that with this because the film the film had enough chuckles. Exactly. I needed something, I needed something right here. I was, to me, what saved this film was the ending and the fact that they continued the ending tone as you wrapped up the film with the credit scenes uh that was i did not need you to take me back to silly at that point yeah i, I totally agree with you now one thing i can say i didn't really take note of so i just want to i'll defer to you if you did uh while i did pay attention to the soundtrack i wasn't really taking in the score to speak of i don't really it didn't really resonate with me so i can't say if i liked it or i didn't like it i always say that the score is supposed to be something that you know emphasizes and and gives you feelings but you shouldn't walk away having thought about it all that much anyway so i don't know if you were cognizant of it as it went on or not no it was i will say this i liked the music and when i say not the music i'm not talking about the score i'm talking about the the we were talking about some of the pop culture choices that were used for the music in this and there was a song from dio that was at the end i thought was really great um I I enjoy that use, but the problem is when you when you emphasize those so much, I think you do lose the score in that. And I don't know that that's necessarily good or bad. I just thought I'm with you. I the score wasn't something that stands out for me. The whereas the other musical choices were, which they aren't really part of the score. It's a, it's like there's two soundtracks, right? Mm-hmm. And one of them I was very in tune with. The other one. I, I, and I'm not insulting it. I'm not saying it was bad. There's no music that I thought was bad in this. 
Um, there, but there's a difference between like scores where I'm like, I've got to have that soundtrack. I want to play it all the way through. And I, the musical score in this one wasn't one where um, I ended up feeling that way. I've got Apple Music, so I ended up downloading it. I played it through. It's a good score. So I, I do want to be clear. I'm not knocking it. I played it through. I enjoyed it. But it's not one of those where I'm going to play that through over and over again. Um, I like instrumental scores because, and this is something I, I, I'm stealing completely from a Comic Geek Speak podcast. Um, years ago, they talked about the fact that um, some of them, and I think it was Brian Deemer on there, who referenced the fact that he likes to re- like read comics while listening to film scores that don't have the words, right? Um, I do think this is a score I wouldn't mind putting on behind the scenes when I listen, when I'm reading a comic or something, but yet it's not one of those that's going to pump me up the way that like the score from Superman would, right, for example. Right. Well, I do find um, that generally, I do find that Michael Giacchino is a very talented music, music, uh, composer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would imagine if I did listen to it in a focused environment, I probably would enjoy it, but I just can't comment cause it didn't, you know, it didn't, it didn't make a real impression in the particular movie, which, like I said, ultimately, when I do pay closer attention to that, I may see that as a positive because it may have influenced my uh, my feelings during the movie without me even being aware of it, which is really what I think scores are best when they do that. I know when I don't like the score. Yes. Like, that stands out for me, and I don't feel this, this, wasn't, this wasn't that. And I, I want to be clear off of that. It's not a score that I didn't like. Um it's to your point sometimes scores are meant to be they take you through moods and emotions and things like that and i don't know that i I don't think it did a bad job uh i just it's not one of those where and i think some of that really is due what i was mentioning to other songs took the moments that would have otherwise been meant for his score but i I can you know just as as a uh, reference uh, i think john williams is the gold standard for all scores uh and I can tell you, I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, Star Wars, Superman, E.T., and, and a plethora of other movies that he scored, and did not walk out of the theater thinking about the, that score. Meanwhile, when I've listened to them later, I was like, oh my God, this is some of the greatest music ever. So, you know, the fact that I didn't take notice of it while it was actually in, in my first viewing is not necessarily a bad reflection on it. In fact, it could be a very positive reflection because, like I said, uh, it could be influencing how I take in the movie without me even being aware of it. I downloaded it. That says something. Yeah. So all that said, Sean, I think we've we've waxed poetic about this for long enough. All that said, where do you rate this? So I think just for the sake of probably the audience and, and for myself on this one, the difference between Jaws two and three. Give me, give me that. What, what okay, was, well, jo- what's the Jaws, Jaws, two Jaws three would be a movie that you watched. You got some entertainment of it out of it, but it's nothing special. Jaws two would be a very good movie. It's not at quite at the level of classic, but it's you know really solid, worthy of multiple viewings, and you know not a tremendous number of flaws to it. So I'm going to be honest. I struggle with this one. Um, there's there's so many moments of it that make it Jaws 2, and there's moments of it that make it Jaws 3 for me. 
So because of that, I think I'm leaning towards Jaws 3, but I am going to say I watched this film twice. I know I'm going to watch it again. This is one I'm going to own. So I am going to watch it again. Uh, I I think what's really affecting me on this one is how disjointed it feels. Uh, I do think it's worth seeing. I'd recommend it to people to see. Um, I'd recommend to people to see, please take whatever reviews that you've read about this and go in and see it for yourself and, and have your own experience with it. But um, I, I'm going to go with Jaws 3, and I'm struggling with that, only because there are plenty of Jaws 2 moments in this one for me, but I'm going to stick with 3 because I feel it's a little bit disjointed. That's the only reason why, but I will say Jaws 3 with the caveat on this is a film that I'm going to own when I'm able to, and I know I'll watch it again. I think you and I are are virtually of a similar mind on this because I struggle with it too, and I'm struggling back and forth between Jaws 2 and Jaws 3, and everything you said about it just now, I could just say ditto too. Uh, so I, I kind of felt like it's either a Jaws 3, but like really high on Jaws 3, a, you know, a budding Jaws 2, but just not quite getting over the hump. Or it's a really low Jaws 2 that threatens to drop into Jaws 3, but, but manages to hold on. And when I went back and forth on it, I went with the latter. Uh, I'm going to say it, it's at the lower level of Jaws 2. It's not, you know, one of the high, you know, real serious quality Jaws 2s, but... It still hits that level because I still see myself if, if I'm flipping through the channels this is and this is on I see myself stopping and watching it if I get in the mood for Marvel movies I could see this being one that I would pop on you know depending on what mood I'm in on that day or or very often you know not very often but my my son and I were doing a uh, a, a watch through we started you know at Iron Man and we're working our way through all the all the uh, Marvel movies, and I would have no problem, you know, I would look forward to seeing this one again in that respect. So, I'm, I'm, because of the rewatchability that I think it does have, I'm going to put it at the low level of Jaws 2. I can, I can clearly say, if I was putting the Thor movies in order for me, um, and I, I would say, for me, it's Ragnarok, with the first Thor movie being a very close second, and this one being the third. Um for me, I mean that, that's kind of my my ranking on that one. I will watch this again. I almost wanted to give it a two point five, and I'm trying not to do that because I'm trying not to cheat on your you're, scale. You're welcome to cheat anytime you want. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I'm, I'm saying that only to give people an idea of where my head's at on this we, one. I am I am wavering between two and three. I'm going to stick with my three for the reasons that I stated, but um, it's it was a struggle, which I think is kind of I think that's a it, it's very telling that we're both saying the same thing. This is a film we struggled with where to place it. Now, Jaws, jo- uh, uh, Thor 2, The Dark World, uh, mm-hmm. I've said in the past that I kind of had that... It, I, when when I was ranking Marvel movies, and that was the lowest-ranked Marvel movie that I had on my list, and I, and I commonly would say even the worst Marvel movie is still a Jaws 2 to me. So if I'm putting Dark World at at two, and I do rank this one ever so slightly higher than Dark World, then this has got to be a Jaws 2 for me as well. And now Dark World, what I have said on that one is when I went to the movie theater and saw it, I walked out disappointed. And then I ended up watching it again at home 
you know, on, on a big screen TV. I mean, I didn't watch it on a, you know, on like a, a phone or something. But when I watched it on a big screen TV at home, I found it far more enjoyable than I did in the movie theater, which is not always the case. Usually I prefer the big screen. Uh, but in, in for, for Dark World and for Iron Man 3, I enjoyed both of them much more at home than I did in the movie theater. So sometimes that's the experience. And I'm cur- I'll be curious to see how this one plays at home, too. Yeah, this one I I will say I liked this one better the second time. I could see that, and I, I didn't see where that could be. I, I didn't dislike it the first time. I want to be clear off of that. Oh, no, we we walked um, out and we were, we were saying I don't know why all the people are so down on this. We enjoyed it. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I was actually very worried about the negativity of this one because I I like you. I want to see another Thor. So I that's where this movie I think has a victory, is that I walked out of this one. I wanted to see another movie where. If you're walking out and saying oh, this is maybe getting a little tired, then they got a problem. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not in that place at all. I'm very excited. Like the next one, I'll be there opening night again. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'll be there opening night, but I will be there. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Thanks again, Sean, for coming on. And as as we always wrap up, I'd like you to just kind of tell everybody where your show is. Sure. RagingBullets.com is where you can find our podcast. Raging Bullets is a DC Comics fan podcast, and uh, we do a weekly podcast talking about news, and we usually take a couple comics and really go in-depth on them. So uh, please consider checking us out. And if I can uh, kind of paraphrase and rip off Jim Segulin, uh, if you download it, you can enjoy the show. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm feeling at home. Thanks for having me, though. I, I always enjoy doing this, and um, this is this is a real treat for me. So thank you. Right, well, you know, we could have the in the closing credits. Sean Whalen will return. Because uh, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure we'll be doing this again sometime soon. And I, I, thanks again I, for coming I, on with me. I enjoy it very much, and I look forward to our next time. And everybody, thank you for listening, and we'll be back next time. They're in the shadow realm. How'd you know? The atmosphere there has a darkness like no other. It's as if color fears to tread. It's unmistakable. Well, then, if it's color we need, let's bring the rainbow. Bring the rainbow? Is that a catchphrase or something? She's only been a Thor for a minute. I mean, saving lives, she's quite good at but the rest of it, she needs work. How many catchphrases have there been? A lot. Yep. Jump the gun. Hang on. He moves through shadows and he's going to the shadow realm. It seems like that's where he's going to be the most powerful. You're right. We can't just go marching in there. It could be a trap. Are you thinking what I think you're thinking? I'm thinking it. What are we thinking? Thinking what? I'm thinking it too. Omnipotent city.